This sermon is brought to you by Christ Church South Philadelphia, a church that is committed to living out the gospel in their neighborhood and from there impacting the world. For more information about our church or to support our mission, you can go to www.ChristChurchSouthPhilly.org. Guys, I always love being here. It's been a while, but I'm really grateful to be here. It was interesting. Jeff just asked two things. He goes, brother, um, I need you to preach something out of God's word, and I need you to wear a pink shirt. Um, and I was like, what's up with the pink shirt? But I did it, and so, but now I get it. So I appreciate that. In all seriousness, before we open God's word together, um, I'm grateful for your pastors. Um, some of these brothers are dear, and some of you guys, I know, I'm going to try not to do shout outs, even though I see my brother Rice in the back. Um, Oh, yeah, I got to stay focused this morning. But let me just say this about Jeff. Um, yesterday, his youngest brother got married. And it was a joy to be around their whole family. And considering the gifts that God has given different members of the family, brother, when I think about you, um, God has given you a gift of faith. I was just in a Bible study recently, and we were talking about uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and the gift of faith. We're like, what is this? It's it's when God gives not just a gift for saving faith, but a gift to believe God for big things. And God has seemed to give you that gift throughout the years, and I'm so grateful. The reason, by the way, I call him Double Dragon, and don't expect a nickname. People talk this way now, and now they're disappointed when I don't give them a nickname. And I'm like, nicknames happen, you can't manufacture them. But we played a lot of ping pong in pastor's college, which, you know, that may reflect sometimes in our ignorance. We probably played too much. When we played doubles, I called Jeff and I Double Dragon. Anybody from the 80s here? Anybody playing Nintendo? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, okay, well, four of you can appreciate the nickname. And I just thought this brother's, you know, he's got so much. I just gave him the team name, brother, so... That's what it is. So, all right, let me get out of that craziness. I'm going to get situated up here. Turn your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Kings chapter 17. Jeff's always really good at, like, helping people find their way through the Bible. He gives explanations. 1 Kings is in there. You'll find it. I'm pretty confident. While you're making your way there, I um, want to share something that caught my attention this summer. How many of you are familiar with the Detroit slide? Probably as many as are familiar with Double Dragon. So there is this state-run park. There is a state-run park in Detroit. And they had one of those old-fashioned metal slides that kind of humps like this and goes down. Well, apparently it was over-greased. And so there's footage of these kids getting in like potato and coffee sacks. And they are just getting hammered going down this. I mean, boom, their heads are rocking, bodies are flailing, cell phones are flying. And you know what their fix was? Oh, it's not, it's not the slide. It's, they're not following the instructions. And I'm like, so you're entrusting the safety of these kids to their ability to follow your instructions? <laughs> and they're like, pretty much, yeah. I mean, that's life in Detroit. It's kind of like Philly. And so, basically, they have two instructions for these kids. Sit up and lean in. And then they demonstrate it. And sure enough, you sit up and you lean in and you don't get so throttled. You just lay back. You might not get back up. Uh, 
Why am I saying this in relations to 1 Kings? Because life is often like a Detroit slide. Especially when we consider things at a national and personal level. There's probably some things you see going around in the world right now, and you're just getting throttled by it. It is just rocking you. There might be some things in your personal life, especially if you're feeling things that make you feel isolated or uncertain about where you're at, and they're throttling you on the inside. Live good news this morning. God wants to encourage us through these words here in Isaiah. God knows the things that rattle us. In this passage, we're not just going to be introduced to Elijah. We're going to be introduced to his times and his situation. Elijah was in a time facing great national crisis in a time of real personal isolation. And it's through here we're going to hear the word of the Lord to us this morning. And it's going to call us to sit up and to lean in and to gather to be reminded that God alone has the power to provide what we need most. Let's read 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. Now Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead, said to Ahab, who was king of Israel, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him. Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, that is east of the Jordan, and the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for the privilege to be here with these friends who, in Jesus, are more than friends. They are family and faith. And we pray as we gather around the table of your word, Father, please give us something good to eat. Strengthen us from the inside out. In Jesus' name, so be it. Although I would highly encourage any kind of study in the life of Elijah, you could pick it up here in 1 Kings 17, take it all the way to 2 Kings chapter 2, and you'll find this emerging theme of the word of the Lord. It's not Elijah who's the central figure, it's ultimately God, who is the central figure. But this morning, we're not going to cover all those chapters. We just have this passage. And in this passage, I want us to consider two points. The first is power over the weather. This is a point where we're going to be helped to not get so throttled by all the things that are happening at a national level. Although this point only covers one verse, it is a powerful verse. The first thing is we see a powerful introduction. This is where we come to meet 
Elijah. This is where he's introduced to us in Scripture. And what an introduction it is. We're given so little about him. Anybody know where Tishbe is? No. You know what? Even archaeologists don't know where Tishbe is. It reminds me of watching old professional wrestling where they would say someone's from parts unknown. And as soon as you would say that, that would get my attention. What do you mean parts unknown? Like, no one knows where they're from. Well, here this guy seemingly comes out of nowhere. We don't know the location. Nothing said about his family. But here he is. And not only that, he comes with an unfiltered directness. He doesn't give the customary saying that the prophets do of thus says the Lord. Rather, he says, except by my word. See, Elijah had so internalized the purposes of God. He had so made the word of the Lord the way of his life that his word was so tied to God's word that he could say something like that. And his message what did he tell Ahab? No rain or no dew. I mean, this morning you would think that's a good thing. In an agrarian society, that is a haymaker. If there is no rain or dew, guess what there's also not any of? Starts with an F, ends with an Ood. There's no food. No rain, no food. No food, no what? No life. You'll eventually die without water or food. This is severe. And friends, we need to consider who he's standing before. The one that he is face to face with is Ahab. Now, Ahab marks a low point for the kings and for the nation. Really, he represents a breaking point. His greatest issue was the promotion of Baal worship, which he seemed to have picked up from his wife, Jezebel, just a little thing to the singles, be careful who you marry, men and women, um, avoid guys like Ahab and avoid women like Jezebel. Her father was the king and priest of Baal and Sidon, and she herself was a priestess and princess of Baal. You can read that for yourself in 1 Kings 16, but that's the backdrop that we need to keep in mind. You see here, this is the real power encounter that's happening. This is not ultimately about Elijah and Ahab. It's about the God who lives versus the God who doesn't live. This is about the God of Israel and Baal. This is about true worship and idolatry. That's what's really happening here. Now to understand a little bit about Baal, any of you experts in Baal? Well, Baal was over fertility and the crops. So basically, if you wanted to have babies or you wanted to have food, if you were into things that pertain to life, Baal was your idol. He could do that. So many people looked to him for life. Many looked to Baal to have the power to provide. But get this. Israel had gone headlong into worshiping Baal. This isn't a pagan nation we're talking about. This is God's people. They have gone crazy for Baal worship. Almost at a level of national apostasy is happening here. This is widespread darkness until this word of the Lord comes through like lightning. 
And this word about what God would do with the weather was a direct challenge to Baal. But not only that, it was a call to his people that he alone has the power to provide what we need most. It's what the Lord, word of the Lord is always proving, friends. That God is who he says he is. And it's also proving something else. We all need something much greater than food. This nation thought they had all they wanted. It's often in times of prosperity where we abandon the Lord. So God can use famine to wake us up to what our greatest needs really are. And friends, there's no greater desire we can have in life. Not than food, but that God would be exalted. Consider Psalm 138. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. Friends, do you think anything is higher than God? His name or his word? This summer, I was on a flight back home to help my mom transition into assisted living. And although as I get older, I'm less desirous to talk to the people in the seats next to me, I still, my conscience can't shake it. I have this kind of deal with the Lord. Lord, if you put them by me, I'll try to share with them. And then my second prayer is, Lord, don't have anybody sit by me. Um, not a great heart, but I need to be honest with you. And so I'm sitting next to this guy, probably in his mid-50s, fit, um, professional. And I start talking to him, friendly enough, but I tapped into his favorite subject early on in the conversation. Guess what his favorite subject is? Himself. And so we're talking about his favorite subject. We're talking about his job. Even brought up his biceps at one point because they were big and they were there. I just had to know. How does one get biceps like that? And so we're talking about all manner of things. Now, mind you, he never asked me any questions about myself. I know all about his boat. I know all about his career. I know all about his biceps. So what do I do now? I'm like, well, I should ask him a question. So I won't say his name in case I'm, he'll never hear this. But it doesn't matter. I don't even remember his name. So but I, I asked this guy, I said, so with all that you got going on, I got to ask, what's the purpose of life? Pauses. Because that's a really good question. I don't know. Oh, you got money, you got boats, you got biceps. You don't know what life is about. And... So he also still wasn't asking me what I thought life was about. So I start kind of slowly doling it out. I go, you know what the amazing thing is? No matter our station in life, the highest thing for any human being, no matter what, is that they live to honor and enjoy God. And then I broke it down. I mean, I didn't say it in a preachy voice like that, but we got there and then the conversation kind of pittered out after a while. The point is... Many guys are like that guy next to me. Many people in our world living, trying to build little kingdoms, but no real idea about what life is all about, friends. So what do we do with this first point? How does this help us not get throttled when we think about things that are happening nationally? Just two sub points. Don't miss the big picture. 
Friends, don't get hung up on the Ahabs, on the corrupt leaders, on the corrupt system. It's not ultimately about that. This is ultimately about God being honored. There's so many pitfalls we can get when we think about national crisis. Do our eyes get on the living God? Friends, please don't miss the big picture. It's part of how we sit up living to honor God in the midst of a crazy and crooked world is partly how we're going to shine in this season of our nation's life. So that's the first one. Second is don't despise drought. How many of you are worried about the economy? Stocked up on top ramen. Got gold. If you did Bitcoin, sorry, I hear that's not going so well. People trying to work angles to get security. Friends, we are God's people. We are God's people. We don't need to despise drought like the world does. Because if God uses drought to wake a thirst in us that has been lacking, namely a thirst for God himself, that is a mercy more than it is anything else. And we should welcome it. All right, friends, well, we got to keep on moving. So let us go to our second point, provision in the wilderness. And this is the point that's going to help us when things throttle us at a personal level. Let me just bring us back into the text here. It says this, and the word of the Lord came to Elijah. And the word was this. Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook that I have commanded. And I've commanded the ravens to feed you there. Oh, that's really interesting. Huh. Now, what was Elijah doing before the word of the Lord told him to go east to Cherith? He was standing before a king. A king. Could you imagine standing before a national leader and you're sharing with them the clear and direct word of the Lord? I mean, that would be frightening, exhilarating. And then you're called to hide yourself. Friends, sometimes the word of the Lord will call you to stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with a king. And sometimes the word of the Lord will call you to hide yourself by a stream. What God said to Elijah wouldn't have made sense, but what did Elijah do? He followed. He obeyed the word of the Lord. Friends, when God hides us, it's hard. I don't want to just speak in metaphors. When God hides you, it will feel lonely. When God hides you, it'll feel like he doesn't see you and nobody else sees you. Friends, but we need to learn to welcome this. Your rugs provide a good picture for me this morning. There's times, like your rugs here, where you're hung up for everybody to see and appreciate so you can give a warm ambiance to the room. And there's times when you're the rug on the floor so that people can dry their feet off on you. Which rug is more necessary? 
will we always insist to be lifted up? Or when the Lord lays us low, will we also gladly submit to that? Well, friends, I think when we realize that being hidden is hard, we must, we must remember that the Lord has purposes when he hides us. In the case of Elijah, we see a few things. Obviously, this could be a protection, right? I'm sure Ahab is not happy with what Elijah said. And there's a recurring narrative that Ahab's always trying to do Elijah harm. That's because they believed in that time, if you kill the messenger, you kill the message. And so there could be a sense where God's protecting him, but I'm not sure that's all that's there because God certainly protected him when he was in the king's presence. I'm like, where were the guards? How did he get out? I don't know. But God got him through that. This is also a punishment, not so much for Elijah himself, but for God's people. Sometimes when you hear a hard word and then there's just silence, that word has a way of standing and stinging a bit more. I think that's part of this. But then there is a preparation. And this might be what we focus on most. We have to ask the question, what did Elijah do in his wilderness time? There's no phone. So he's not scrolling anything. There's no family, no kids, no friends, no entertainment. What did Elijah learn to do in the wilderness? He learned to do what we all need to learn how to do in the wilderness season. And that's he learned to live upon God alone. Friends, as God's people, there are few lessons more fundamental to our functional faith than learning to live upon God alone. How much of your faith still rests on circumstance, still rests on material things that might be added to your faith? I love Jesus, but I'm also thankful I have this, that, and the other. Gratitude is not bad. But sometimes there's a way where we misplace certain weight, where we say we're living upon the Lord. But if someone would see where we actually rest ourselves, find our worth and security, it's actually on something other than the Lord. Friends, I can't underline this enough for us. And I would say this, although God had national and redemptive historical purposes in hiding Elijah, I still think God has purposes in hiding his people. And namely, I would sum it up with a maxim. When God hides us, it is so that we can find him. So if you're in a season of life where all of a sudden your friends just dropped off, maybe you move to a new city or your season of life shifts, there is a time that no matter where you're at, things can drastically change. We have a little cute town next to ours that's called Merchantville, New Jersey. Anybody know about it? Well, in Merchantville, New Jersey, during Halloween, they put a different sign over the welcome sign, and it reads Monsterville. And so they kind of do a little, like, change sign up for the holiday. But that's often how Cherith works. 
when we enter our own Cherith, we don't actually go to the place Elijah went. But that sign of Cherith comes over whatever season we're in. And do you know what that sign says? Welcome to Cherith, population two, where God teaches you to live upon him alone. And that's what we enter. So we have to ask, what, what do we do with this? Well, although the greatest provision is to learn to live upon God, it is not his only provision. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. After a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. That is strange to be fed by ravens. Eagles fans will be like, God, could it be an eagle? Um, I don't want this Baltimore bread my way. Um, that we, we can't miss it in our own culture. In that culture, ravens were unclean birds. Both Leviticus and Deuteronomy specifically mention ravens as unclean. So if an unclean animal is on your food, guess what? That's ceremonially unclean. You can't be eating that. Well, I guess God's not playing by those rules. Listen. You might wonder, how in the world is God going to provide for me in this obscure, lonely wilderness? Okay, don't question if he will. Just realize you might not always get how he's doing it. But he's doing it. And I still, they brought him bread and meat. There's a part of me that likes to think these birds just came and took Ahab sandwiches and brought them to Elijah. But that's conjecture. I don't know that. But the birds brought bread and meat because God caused them to. God can cause even unclean things to work for your good in the wilderness because he's with us there. Let me give you a story. I love how God brought some bread into our life one time. So one of my cherith, and by the way, cherith just won't be a place you hit once in your life. That new sign will come over different seasons throughout your life because we need to keep learning this. But one of my seasons, my Cherith was in Indiana. My wife and I, we were young, going through a lot, broke, and we really didn't know what to do. And it was an extremely tough time. So I did what every man of faith does. I held a garage sale. <laughs> because certainly by selling things, this will help. The garage sale could not have gone worse. I'm already in a season where I'm fighting for joy. I'm already in a season where I feel like no one sees us, no one cares. We are alone. You ever feel that way? So there I'm at, in the garage, nothing selling. I'm about to pack it in, and this obscure man walks in. And he just like kind of looks at a few things. And then he shoots me this look. And he asked me this question, you got any guns? <laughs> now, sarcastic comments are running through my mind at this point. I'm like, am I wearing a shirt? Inquire here for guns? I'm like, I don't have any guns. And I'm thinking all this. And then it popped into my mind before I could speak that when my wife and I got married, my father, he gave us a gift all father-in-laws should give to their daughter-in-laws. 
a six-foot muzzleloader. Yeah, a muzzleloader is a long, old-school gun. I mean, <laughs> there's really no purpose for it. So what we did is we put it above, like, our cupboards where we had a spot to fit it. I literally forgot it was there. So if we would have moved, someone would have found a muzzleloader and been on Antique Roadshow. But the Lord brought it to my mind like that. The Lord, not my mind, because I don't think that quick. And I was like, actually, I do have a gun. And once you know, that guy paid us all the cash we needed to float through that next season. Now, if God can work through a muzzleloader that you forgot about, and God can work through unclean ravens, how might God be providing for you in your times of wilderness? Don't question if he will. Just when he does, don't question how he does it. Just give him the thanks for it, friends. Now, lest we always embrace that now, do I always keep guns above my kitchen sink now and counter and be like, yeah, I can't wait for this to happen again? It, it doesn't work that way. Because God's not like that. He's into inspiring faith and trust. If I thought I could do the muzzleloader thing, I actually don't need God anymore. I just need muzzleloaders. And so, guys, just in our own lives like Elijah, the brook dried up. The brook dried up. That season ended. God didn't always feed him by the ravens and by the brook. There is a time for God's provisions, and they are always timely. Now, I want to ask you a question before we start bringing this to a close. Does this account remind you of anybody else in the Bible? Moses, maybe? Let's kick that one around a little bit, all right? So Moses went eastward in the wilderness after confronting a powerful leader, Exodus 2. Moses and the wilderness generation were on the same divine meal program. Though they were not fed by ravens, they were fed miraculously by God at apportioned times. That's Exodus 16. See, this tells us something about Elijah, that he's a prophet and national leader akin to Moses. And it ties us into redemptive history. But more importantly, this tells us something about God, that he does some of his best work in the wilderness. So friends, what do we do with this? How does this point keep us from getting throttled by the personal things that are happening in our life? Just two things. Learn to cherish cherith. I know, that's, that's like a speech teacher saying. Say it three times fast. Learn to cherish cherith. May we as God's people learn to love anything that leads us to and leaves us with God alone. You think, I, I think so often when we hit a cherith season, we just want out of there. We just want out. We want gone. We want to leave it. Friends, I don't think God wants us to just leave and rush out of these seasons. He wants us to sit up and lean into these seasons. But secondly, learn to trust and to trace. Friends, we might not always know God's good purposes in their time. But we can trust that they're for our good. You know, when God hid me in that cherith of Indiana, I was a proud, self-righteous, foolish man. Now I'm just less of that. You know what God was doing in my wilderness? 
He was protecting me and others from myself. He wasn't just leading me to himself. He was helping me die in all the areas that I needed to die. Friends, if God's got us on the operating table, let's not be quick to jump off. Let's trust that he has good purposes. Friends, there's preparation that we can only learn in wilderness times. I want you to hear this. We do not need more cool and successful Christians. We have plenty of those. What we need is more followers of Christ who know how to live upon Christ alone. We also need to trace. Friends, if a raven comes your way, are you able to trace that unclean bird back to the absolutely pure and loving hand of God? So important that we do because when we know a provision comes from God, there's nothing that fills us more than that. Friends, close with this. You're like, I don't know, man. You started talking about slides, getting throttled. You talked about the nation. You talked about us personally. What am I really supposed to do on a rainy Sunday morning with all this? How do I know this is real? I don't know. I don't know if I've hit a chair at that. I'm in one. I'm not sure this is going to help. The nation's crazy. Do you expect this is really going to help me with this? Here's what we ultimately camp on. Nothing, nothing gives us the confidence that God will provide what we need most, like the cross does. And it's in these times, whether in a crazy nation or in internal isolation, we have to look at what has been done. When, when we wonder, will God provide? Does he have the power to provide? Yes, he has the power to provide rain and stop rain. He has the power to use any means to care for his people in any place. He wants his people to live upon him alone. But the greatest life that God leads to and has provided for us is the life we have through Jesus Christ. If God would provide his own son for us, is he keeping any lesser thing that we need from us? No. And friends, this nation is out of control. I'm not saying that it's not. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't find ways to be active in it. But we should do it with the confidence that our greatest need has been finished. It has been settled. What did we sing? Our debt has been paid and the victory is won. The Lord is my salvation. Do you live with that kind of confidence, that kind of humble, calm confidence that God's people are called to? Your greatest need is met. All right, so you're in Cherith. You're having trouble paying the bills. You feel obscured. You feel like you are on the floor. Do you know, child of God, you are loved by Christ and your greatest need has already been met and your greatest exaltation has already happened that you should be called the child of God. And as 1 John says, and so you are. Friends, we can live upon God alone through Christ because God alone 
has the power to provide what we need most. And nothing assures us of that than the cross of Christ. God bless you. It's been a joy to be with you. May I close us in prayer?